Oh 
rocking and rolling, strutting and strolling, ramming and jamming. You are listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. <laughs> His brain is wrong. <laughs> yes, it's Casey Ferguson here, back with another episode of the oral equivalent of rice aroni the Casey Ferguson Show. Fancy that, dope providing the flavor packet we needed to get this party started. The track is called Now or Never. It's Now or Never indeed, Rapscallions. Man, I have been working harder than Dolly Parton's bra straps. If you've been following along with me on social media at The Casey Ferguson Show, you know I've been putting boots, tasses, and emptying glasses here at Casey's Podcastle, working on all kinds of radio specials and other projects. And if you haven't been following along, well, I guess you know now. Follow me anyway, don't be a jerk. What's it going to kill you? Anyway, as I was saying before I rudely interrupted myself, it's been no rest for the wicked and full steam ahead. So I thought to bridge the gap between new installments of the Casey Ferguson Show, I put together another remix episode for you lunatics. And what a glorious sanity-battling, labia-rattling episode it will be. Echoing the greatness of the almighty Airbud, I have retrieved from the archives my interview with Matt Brooks, guitarist of Auckland, New Zealand's favorite sons, Like a Storm. Plus, rafter-shaking ruckus on the way from Dark New Day, Skillet, Silver Chair, and more. Yes, the future is so bright, we'll have to wear shades. It's time to light it up. This is Rev Theory on the Casey Ferguson Show. Devil 
If you're listening to the Casey Price Show, if you want to get your money's worth, stay right here and stay tuned in because everybody's got a price for the million dollar man.
make your knees freeze and your liver quiver. You are listening to The Casey Ferguson Show. Have you ever been hit with a bag of oranges? From the album Awaken the Fire, that was Like a Storm with Wish You Hell. Dark New Day before that with Brother and Rev Theory lit the wick to that explosive set of songs with Light It Up. Rapscallions, I gotta tell you, it's been great that this show's been getting picked up for syndication all over the world. I'm very proud of that. However, I want to clear up a few common misconceptions for you international listeners about my home and native land of Canada. Yes, it's cold here. We often wear funny hats called toques, because it's cold here. Yes, we talk funny, apologize a lot, and inhale beer with frightening ferocity. Guilt is charged. Yes, we occasionally wrestle polar bears, mostly on Tuesdays, and due to said beer consumption. Yes, some Canadians will walk out on and drill a hole in a frozen lake to go ice fishing. I'm not one of them. Yes, we do have free health care, but that doesn't cover prescriptions, physiotherapy, dental care, or things like glasses. And our waiting lists for medical procedures are routinely longer than Pete Doherty's rap sheet. So essentially, you end up with a bunch of shivering, nearsighted, toothless drunks with bad backs bumping into each other and saying, he's sorry, boot daddy. <sighs> and yes, some Canadians live in igloos, but that's mostly because there isn't much in the way of affordable housing here. Hell, even a danged broom closet would cost you 1200 loonies a month no do to boot it now don't mistake my passive aggressive tirade here there's still a lot to love about canada like poutine and pamela anderson but if there is one misconception i want to clear up about canadians it's that we love snow some do some don't i can't stand the stuff so i have compiled a short list of things that i'd rather have than snow they are as follows jock itch an andy griffith marathon a urinary tract infection a beard of bees gout christmas dinner with my family hemorrhoids a prosthetic head swine flu a sexual encounter with a cheese grater angina a collection of rookie martin cassettes menopause another rom-com cataracts the proverbial hill of beans a hug from a cactus a pandemic osteoporosis date night with honey boo boo fibromyalgia a salad menstrual pain an interview with stephen hawking liver spots a kiss from a taser an audible shark, lobster bisque, a kick in the ass with a frozen boot, a game of Scrabble with Dog the Bounty Hunter, elephantitis, a pie-eating contest without pie, a waft of Hillary Clinton's undergarments, a tussle with a giant man-eating arachnid, a balloon animal in my urethra, or perhaps just rain. Of course, that's just the short list. Could you hurry it up? I don't want my fish sticks to get cold. <laughs> There's nothing on your plate. They're in my pocket. <laughs> I couldn't take any chances. As I mentioned earlier, my guest on this episode of the Casey Ferguson Show is Matt Brooks from the band Like a Storm. Not only have Like a Storm shared the stage with Korn, Steel Panther, Hell Yeah, Blackstone Cherry, and Shinedown, among others, the single Love the Way You Hate Me was number one on Sirius XM Octane in North America for five weeks. Its stateside success makes the band the highest charting New Zealand rock act in U.S. radio history. This is my interview with Matt Brooks of Like a Storm on the Casey Ferguson Show. I'm Casey Ferguson. You are listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. I got Matt Brooks of Like a Storm on the phone. How you doing today, Matt? I'm doing great, thanks, Casey. Thanks for having me on, man. Oh, hey, man. Glad to have you. I got to get a good hello, mate. Well, that sounds a bit more like Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I really yeah, kind of screwed that up. Now, but, uh, but I, I will say g'day, mate, which is how it sounds in New Zealand. Ah, <laughs> uh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, wrong accent altogether. I, I totally blew it. <laughs> At least if they need a, an extra for Oliver Twist or something, you know you've got the gig. Right? Yeah, please, sir. Can I have some more? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I've been practicing. <laughs> Not the New Zealand accent, apparently, but nonetheless. <laughs> Anyways, enough of that shenanigans. Obviously, you, you guys are from New Zealand, and the uh, highest charting act ever out of New Zealand, which is pretty incredible. I mean, that must be uh, quite an honor. It is, man. I mean, you know, there's a ton of talented musicians in New Zealand, and there've been some New Zealand musicians, you know, who've done amazing things worldwide. But we're kind of the only band in our genre who has managed to, to do what we've done lately, and it's, it's a huge honor because there are so many awesome rock bands from New Zealand that it's, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of proud to be flying the flag and, and showing people that there's great rock all over the world. Absolutely. Well, that's sort of what I was getting at. What I wanted to ask about was, I mean, what's the music scene like over there? I mean, is there a lot of clubs to play? Like, you know, a lot of bands? Like, what, what's going on over there? Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, you know, we all grew up, my brothers and I, we all grew up playing in different bands. You know, you just play with your mates in the weekend and there are clubs to play. And I mean, there's a ton of amazing musicians in New Zealand. Every time I go home, actually, I'm kind of struck by just the amount of talent that's there. The only thing about New Zealand, you know, the best thing about it is that it's paradise and it's kind of isolated from the rest of the world but that's also the worst thing about it for a touring band. <laughs> yeah i suppose so you know you have to be around people to tour and new zealand is amazing but it's just it's a small country and for a rock band especially i think you know touring is really the lifeblood of, of rock and roll and it's kind of how you grow into yourself as a band and it was at that point that we felt that maybe we needed to look outside of new zealand to have more opportunities now did you guys already have a label deal in place or something when you moved to the states or <laughs> no way dude we we just had this crazy idea of you know following our dream we, we didn't even know anyone in north america <laughs> we just we just had this dream of playing music and and it's always kind of been like an adventure and to be honest i think it's that approach to it that, that allows you to kind of weather the ups and downs of the music industry you know if, if it's always just like this adventure where you're getting to do what you love and meet awesome people and do interesting things then you know i think it's, it's that attitude that led us to leave new zealand and it's that attitude that has uh, you know kept us playing music for as long as we have well and like i played for a lot of years i got into my first band at 13 and you know toured and everything till i was about 29 and that's one thing i really wished that i had done more of actually you know enjoying the journey as opposed to always looking for that destination so what what advice would you give to a young band coming up right now to be honest i would say just play for the love of it man you know you start out playing music because you love it and i think in the middle it's possible to be pulled away from that by people trying to influence you to, you know, do things that, in their opinion, will be better for your career or better for their career. And uh, ultimately, you know, that that's not why you get into music in the first place. And I think, I just think it's so important to make sure that you're just playing the music that you love because you love it. And I think if you do that, then you'll always have fun doing it. And ultimately, that's why any of us got into playing music, because we love it. Absolutely. Now, you guys are known as the pioneers of didgeridoo metal. I mean, I know you guys are from New Zealand, but what possessed you to use the didgeridoo in a metal song? I mean, were you guys, you know, did you have a couple of pints and, you know, decide, hey, you know what would be a good idea? I mean, it, it really does work. I mean, I love what you guys have done, but it's strange that no one's ever seemed to do it before. And just like, how, how did you guys stumble upon that? Or was it something that you wanted to do for a long time? How did it work. You know, it, I mean, it really is something that we stumbled across. I think what kind of led up to that is that we grew up being huge fans 
uh, artists who kind of push the envelope, you know, like Tool or Nine Inch Nails or even Bjork or The Prodigy. We always loved people who bought something new to whatever style of music they were in. So we've always had that approach. But as far as actually incorporating Vigerido, you know, Chris taught himself how to play it after a trip to Australia. And he taught himself how to play it in three days, which is insane. Wow. Because yeah, I hear they're really hard to play. Yeah, especially with circular breathing. I mean, to be quite honest, I mean, I can't play Vig. Some people spend their whole lives trying to learn how to play it. And uh, for some reason, Chris <laughs> got the hang of it straight away. And as soon as he started playing it, we just thought it was like the most awesome sound we'd ever heard. And so that just became one of those things that we wanted to try and incorporate. You know, we just saw it as an opportunity to push our music in a new direction. And on our most recent album, Awake in the Fire, that was the first time that we actually paired the didgeridoo with heavy rock instruments, which is what we've called didgeridoo metal. You know, it's didgeridoo with distorted riffs and double kicks. And this kind of combination of things that we'd never heard done before. And we didn't know if it was going to work or not. We just thought, you know, it was one of the crazy ideas that we wanted to try. And when we first heard it in playback and we heard the ditch and those rock instruments all mixed in together, you know, we just felt like it was something really cool there. And it's just become a bigger and bigger part of our sound. Now, you guys also wrote produced and recorded Awaken the Fire, which is kind of unusual these days that people, I mean, there's a lot of home recording going on, but for a band of your stature to be handling all those, I mean, did you find it hard to wear all those hats, or was it just very gratifying to have control over your end product? You know, I think we've kind of grown up always wearing those hats, you know. We've always been really interested in recording, and we've always produced our own demos. Kent and Chris and I, my, my two brothers and I, we all grew up as songwriters and, and loving a good song and just wanting to make music the best that we could. So I suppose in a lot of ways, we've always been approaching our music from the point of view of a producer. And with Awaking the Fire, we had the opportunity to sort of see out our vision and we had been very lucky because we made an EP that included Love the Way You Hate Me and uh, we produced that ourselves and at that point we'd never produced anything you know anything serious before and so you kind of don't know that you know what you're doing <laughs> but what we did what we did know is that we had an idea for the kind of music that we wanted to make and we had a vision and we just wanted to see whether or not we could realize it and Love the Way You Hate Me sort of took off at radio and took on a life of its own. At that point, we were completely independent, and it ends up, you know, breaking the top 40 on radio with no label behind us or no management behind us. I mean, it was this kind of crazy, uh, unheard <laughs> Well, did you guys even have a road crew at this point? No. We didn't have anything. It was just, you know, it was just my brothers and I it was just, you know, making our music and putting it out and going on tour for our fans. And... Off the strength of that, we got signed to a great label who really believe in us, and they said, you know, we liked what you guys did on your own, so we want you guys to produce this full-length album. And uh, it was just an amazing compliment to us, and I, I think it was it was really validating because we really put ourselves on the line initially by having this idea that we could realize our own vision, and we thought we, that maybe we could make music that stacked up. It was really validating to have the label say, you know, actually of all the producers that we're thinking of, we think you guys would be the best 
at you know realizing your vision. So it's it's something that we're really proud of. Well, it's pretty incredible to hear that you know there's still some labels out there that have that kind of faith in their artists. Yeah, I mean that was um, that was really one of the main things that we love about our label is that they they truly are fans of music and they believe in the bands that they sign. Now I think for a lot of bands. And we we have been through something like this previously in our career too. You can be with a company who, after a while, are just trying to turn you into whatever's on the radio. Yeah. And uh, you know, when when you think that you start as a kid in your bedroom with a dream of playing your music, that's not where you see it ending up. <laughs> so it, it means a lot to us to to be signed to a label who do believe in us and allow us to you know express ourselves creatively because ultimately uh, that's why we got into it well matt i want to compliment you as well uh I, i'm a big slide guitar fan and uh you guys incorporated some slide guitar on wish you hell and uh i really dig the tune i was wondering uh you know if you had a couple uh favorite slide players uh yeah well actually the, the slide player in our band is chris oh okay so, uh yeah so chris who's our lead singer he plays slide and actually, Kent plays guitar too. So, you know, when you look at us playing on stage, the band seems pretty simple. But actually, what goes on behind the scenes is that uh, all three of us play a range of different instruments. So, uh, for the most part, any one instrument could have been played by any of us. In our touring, you know, we spent a lot of time in the, in the South, and we also spent a lot of time in Chicago. And we just kind of fell in love with blues. And Chris, in particular, really got into slide guitar. You know, there was uh, something, you know, Ry Cooter is one of his favorite players and he has, you know, he just listens to that music all the time. And when we wrote Wish You Hell, we just thought that it was the perfect vehicle for this whole new genre that we were really getting into. And what Chris really brought to that in a, in a blues aspect was slide. So the song uh, showcases a lot of slide playing and that was Chris kind of showing this new style of guitar playing that he was getting really into. Well, another track I really love from you guys is Ordinary. Tell me about that song. Where was that coming from, you know, lyrically? You know, what was going on in the recording process and what have you? Because uh, it's a bit of a different song on the album. Where did that fall in the, you know, in the process of recording? Was it an early song? Was it a late song? That sort of thing. Um, yeah, well, Ordinary is really interesting because Ordinary is actually a song that I started writing shortly after we had left New Zealand. And it's a song about, you know, wanting to lead a life that you truly believe in and, and and, and lead a life that has purpose. And it was written at a time where we had moved from New Zealand with this big dream, you know, this crazy adventure that we talked about. But there was a point in time where, you know, it, it hasn't always been the easiest road to take. And I'm sure any, I mean, any, obviously you've toured, you know, any musician will tell you there are huge ups, but there are huge downs as well. And there are huge obstacles that you have to overcome. Ordinary was written at a time where the streets weren't paved with gold. It looked like maybe the path to getting where we wanted wasn't as easy as we thought it would be. And what was cool about it is that we revisited that song when we made Awaken the Fire, and we just felt that the sentiment and the emotion behind that song still sit so perfectly with, with our vision for the album. You know, it's a song about leading the life that you believe in and, and the kind of struggles that you have to overcome in order to do that sometimes. And from a recording point of view, it was really interesting too, because you know the rest of the album is so layered and, and cinematic, and Ordinary is just a vocal. It's actually me singing on that song. Uh, it's a vocal and acoustic guitar and strings and that's it and the challenge was to make the song feel as big 
songs on the record, even though I only had like one tenth of the instruments. Great job on that, man. I I didn't know that was you actually. <laughs> yeah, well, that's you know jumping off from what I was saying before. You know, it's uh, we all came from different bands or playing different instruments, so there are different culminations of us doing different stuff on every song. But uh, one of the things that we have on our records is that I I tend to sing you know two or three songs on every album, and unless people are seeing us live, they don't know. It's kind of funny, actually, last night in Seattle, we were playing Ordinary, and even though I'm singing it, uh, people still look at Chris because they expect him to sing it as you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, um, you know, it's, it, that's just one of the fun things about being in this band, is that we get to do different stuff and, uh, and kind of share different parts of the music. Well, and I suppose I'm partly mixed up because, you know, with how things work with this show is usually I get sent, like, a an album download link or something, but I don't get to sit down and read the liner notes and everything like I would uh, just when I buy an album. So, <laughs> you know, it kind of goes, you know, I kind of did the same thing everybody else said. It's like, okay, well, this guy's probably singing all the songs and so on and so forth. And, you know. Oh, yeah, that's too bad about it. You're definitely not the first person. I mean, you know, our liner notes would be like the Dead Sea Scrolls or something. It <laughs> <laughs> actually had every part of who played what. Um, you know, because we also do a lot of programming and stuff too and Kid plays guitar on the records and yeah, it's, it, it, the music is, I think the easiest way to explain it is just that it's made by like the three of us as if we were a team. So any part of any instrument, whether it's a, you know, a lyric or a guitar riff or a piano part, uh, anything is just produced by one of the three of us. That's kind of the simplest way to explain it. Right. And then when we play live, that's when we say, okay, well, you're going to play this guitar part and you're going to play this bass part and you're going to sing this. But the writing and recording process is much more of a free-for-all. Right. Well, and I suppose because you're family, you don't spend a bunch of time bickering over uh, bickering over percentages and stuff either, right? <laughs> no, we, we have, um, you know, we just have an arrangement among the three of us because we all, uh, we all just want to make the best music, you know, I think that was something that we really clicked on when we first started playing together is that, you know, I mean, everybody has their, every human being has, you know, on some level a sense of ego and pride and that kind of thing, but what's more important than that to us is to create the best music possible, so it's, uh, it's pretty crazy how well it works actually with three guys sort of writing all the different parts as a team well and maybe if there had been a third brother with Oasis those guys would still be together who knows I don't maybe there is I'm not sure <laughs> you know I'm not, I'm not sure a third brother they might be dead or something I don't know yeah. I, uh, <laughs> they might have killed them off yeah, when they were kids who knows yeah well and if there was any kind of middle brother I'm sure if, you know if they did and kill him, he'd probably off himself because there's just, you know, there's no putting up with that. Yeah, they, uh, they certainly have the rock and roll attitude down, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, I don't know if you feel like talking about this, man, and, you know, I understand we'll move on if not, but um, because you guys toured with Creed, I mean, what did you make of the whole Scott Stapp thing? I mean, did you see any warning signs when you guys were on tour together or anything, or was he, you know, pretty much normal at that point? You know, the funny thing that we have is that we've, we've toured with Scott and Creed a lot, and we've also toured with Scott as a solo artist, and uh, we've never seen anything other than this incredibly generous, family-orientated, down-to-earth guy. You know, Scott's always gone out of his way to make us feel comfortable, whether it was the first tour we ever did of America, which was opening for Creed in 2009. 
to when we played with him as a solo act where we, you know, had spent a lot more time with him and, and, uh, and knew them a lot better. So, you know, it was, it was really sad to see what happened. And, you know, Scott and, and his wife, Jackie, have, have been so good to us. You know, we know their kids and their families. And I think it, it was just, it was just, it was sad to see him go through that. And I think if people had the chance to see him on the level that we have, you know, I think a lot of people might feel differently about what he's gone through. Yeah, I mean, I feel for the guy. It was really a, a tragic and horrible situation there. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, it, I mean, it's not a, it's not unheard of that, you know, someone who's really, you know, almost prodigious creatively would, you know, there's a lot of uh, very talented people who go through, you know, mental health problems or there's just, for whatever reason, there's a, there's a huge connection between creativity and, uh, and that kind of thing. So he's someone who I've always thought was a huge inspiration. And I'm, I'm pleased to see that. I see that he's now, you know, looking at going out on tour again. And I, I just think it's, it's awesome to see that, that he's getting back to doing what he's so amazing at. Now, uh, where are you at for time, Matt? Do you, uh, do you got time for a few more? Or do you got a split? Um, you know, I hate to say it, but I probably have to split. I think, I think my next phoner is about now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'll leave you be. Thanks, dude. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me, man. I'm sorry that we have to cut it off there. Oh, hey, no worries. We can always do this again down the road, man. And, uh, thanks for the great music. I really, uh, really enjoy the tunes. Uh, Thank you very much. You uh, you have a good time with all these other chats, man. And uh, like I said, might talk to you down the road. Hell yeah, dude. Part talk show, part rock show. You were listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. Did I fart? What's wrong? That was my conversation with Matt Brooks, guitarist of Auckland, New Zealand's own Like a Storm. For all of you social media types, you can follow the storm on Facebook at Like a Storm. Speaking of storms, last night while I was catching a few winks of sleep between gunshots, we had a snowstorm and lost power at the two and a half seasons. The dumpster fire of a building that surrounds Motel Ferguson. I know what you're thinking. KC logic would dictate that the snowstorm or perhaps a stray bullet took it to power. But I don't buy it. In my opinion, it's equally as likely that my money-grubbing landlord just didn't think us poor folk deserved not to freeze to death. And if it was a bullet, it was probably my landlord that fired it. Honestly, that kind of makes sense, because knowing their general incompetence, they probably would have missed and hit the power line instead of me. You know, if I didn't know better, I'd swear they didn't like me. Why can't you kill him? Shut up, you fart! Oh no, you bastards aren't gonna take me! Hey, just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean they aren't after me. (laughs) Kanye's Twitter feed, it's cold. You know what? I'm just gonna check with our meteorologist real quick before we get back to the music. Hey, Mary, how cold is it right now? Casey, it's so cold out that I saw lawyers outside with their hands in their own pockets. Wow, that's cold. Anyway, during my interview with Matt, we discussed the track Ordinary from Like a Storm's album Awaken the Fire, so it seems only fitting that I would play it for you. So here's Like a Storm with Ordinary on The Casey Ferguson Show. Wait. 
pleasure beyond measure you were listening to the casey ferguson show okay i'm gonna toss this steamer trunk containing the lifeless husk of my ex-boyfriend into a remote corner of my limitless void from the 2002 album diorama that was of course silver chair with one-way mule skillet in there as well with rebirthing you know i think i did that last night but enough about my personal life <laughs> like a storm at the top of the set with a track called ordinary well rapscallions i best get going i've got a lot of work to do on my new invention An invention that I'm sure will soon be the new taste sensation sweeping the nation. Fish-flavored lip balm. Nailed it. Besides, I have to make the wee-wee. Thanks for listening, you lunatics. Drain STH will play us out with a track called Enter My Mind. Remember, it's only an island if you look at it from the water. Until next time, this is Casey Ferguson. Over now. Pressure.